This is episode 103 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today we'll be talking about travel tips for Christian travelers. Welcome to the Christian Travelers Network, where travel stories, community, and scripture combine. Christian Travelers, I'm so glad that you are here because we are coming up on two years of podcasting and we wanted to celebrate by doing two special episodes, one this week and one next week on our actual two-year anniversary. And in doing so, we went back and looked at your guys' favorite podcasts, ones that you have gone back to time and time again over the past two years. And today we're collaging them all together into one episode so that hopefully they can be some good reminders and advice. And of course, if you want to know more or jump around in our podcast, uh, it's all listed in the show notes below. And so my plan for today is we're going to break it up into three different parts. The first part is going to be talking about Christian travel and why travel is important um, from a Christian perspective. Uh, The next point is going to be, what does Christian travel look like? And there's so many different things from missions to uh, vacations and everything in between. And then, of course, we're going to end with just general travel tips and advice from budgeting and other resources. And I hope that you enjoy. Before I dive into that, I do want to point you to our website, christiantravelers.net. There you'll find other faith and travel resources, including all of our links to social media our email list that you can sign up for and get weekly resources. And then, of course, you can find how to book some of your next travel adventures and our ultimate travel kit, which helps you dive into faith discussions with your family and friends on any adventure you go on. So, without further ado, let's travel back in time to episode one, where I introduce what Christian travel means to me and... Uh, what my hope is for this network. I believe that God has given us this whole world. This whole world is ours to take care of, but it's also ours to explore. And when I travel, I believe that there is a lot of opportunity to be carrying the gospel with me, just in how I respond to people, how I tell stories. And when I come home, that's a big opportunity to tell stories about God and how I've witnessed him along my journeys. I started the Christian Travelers Network after I returned from Europe because I felt like the current generations have an appreciation for traveling the world. And when you travel, you tend to be disconnected from your Christian community back home. And I wanted to offer something that was relatable, tangible, a community where you could stay connected with other Christians who share your passion. And as I've dived into that, I've realized that traveling doesn't have to just be people who go around the globe. Traveling to work and traveling to run errands and traveling with your kids to soccer practice, those are all forms of being a Christian traveler. A Christian traveler is a noun. It is a person who travels out into the world and takes the gospel with them. You are that traveler, and thank you so much again for listening for the past two years. 
as I was beginning this ministry, I was exploring what travel ministry was and if there were others out there who did it. And one of the people that I came in contact with and who just has an absolute passion for this ministry is Peter Greer. And in episode four, he helped me further define what travel ministry is. Yeah, travel ministry is a bizarre uh, phrase in some ways. And in some ways, I just want to be, well, travel ministry is just travel as a uh, as a person of faith. Um, because I think uh, travel ministry is really just travel as it was meant to be. Um, so mm-hmm. we were created for incredible purpose in this world and uh, made for so much more than just uh, the material um physical realities and experiences that we uh, have around us Um, and so travel ministry in some ways um, I would just see as uh, living for that purpose Um, and you probably don't consider yourself um, and not everyone's in a a full-time Christian job uh, such as the one that I do Um, and yet I I suppose we still all are uh, these people who take part in a travel ministry or just uh, to put it in other terms um enjoying travel as it was made to be under uh, the goodness of our god and and maker and so i see that's so important because either you live for um how we were made to live and enjoy it and enjoy the wonder of all that our our good god has uh, provided for us and give him glory and thanks for it um or we we're not doing travel ministry we're not uh, traveling through uh, under uh, his lordship and we decide well no uh, we're just doing it for ourselves or for another reason um mm. and so uh, in, in a very basic sense um we're uh, we're left yeah with those base base blocks of of which we're going to do um and so i just think it's so so important that we get to enjoy the richness and the fullness of this world around us um, as it was made uh, to be enjoyed. And just as Peter was saying that we need to be going into the world and exploring it, I also took a deep dive in episode three to look at different Bible verses about what God says about going into his creation. Okay, I would like to pause right now, and I just gave you three verses from scripture that tells us to go, but they weren't alone. Like, our instinctive reaction is to say, oh, that means I get to go travel, and it's okay no matter when or where or how I go about traveling. That's not what scripture says. God's go always had something more to it. It had a purpose that was tied to God. If you're going to go in Genesis, you're going to go multiply the earth and you're going to go take care of it for God. If you're going to go in Genesis 9 with Noah, you're going to go and you're going to multiply the earth. If you go, Matthew 28, You go and you take the gospel to all nations. You baptize in the name of Christ. You go for God's purpose. Now, going is absolutely important, but in episode seven, I take some time to look at the history of Christianity. And we dive into how... From the time of Jesus, we walk to a point where we end up with multiple denominations. And this happens over centuries, but 
understanding at what stage a community is in that faith walk helps us better understand how to share the gospel and relate to people um, whose communities may be at a different stage than our own. And from Martin Luther in the Reformation, we see all these different denominations appear because suddenly we have access to the scriptures and suddenly we have these different interpretations of what it all means. But the main thing about Christendom is that Christianity had an influence on society. We can see this even just a few generations ago where the norm was if you open up your church doors, people will come and activities will happen at church and church has a huge influence on our government and how we view the world. But then at the turn of the century, especially in developed countries, I would say, you see that Christianity is now leaving the central square. Um, it's no longer the big influence. It's an option, but so is a million other things, and it doesn't have quite as much influence anymore. And people are relying more on their own logic and understanding rather than on the scriptures. And how we witness to that is very different than how we would witness to someone in a Christendom world versus a pre-Christendom world. And so when we travel, it's important for us to take time before we go to research the history of religion there. Um, if Christianity is just a minor thing and hasn't really hit society, you could still say they're probably a pre-Christendom world. Um, if Christianity is well spread, they're probably in a Christendom world where, um, we heard this from Peter Greer the other day on our podcast where he talked about how Ireland, it, it's just accepted that everyone is a Christian, but yet people aren't necessarily Christian. They just don't they don't question, are you a Christian or not? They don't really ask that. And then we can go into other communities where we see post-Christendom, I would say America would be one of them, where we witness so many people who their parents aren't going to church, the kids aren't going to church, the schools. Um, if you are a Christian, a lot of your friends are not going to be Christians because they're that's just not the accepted norm anymore. And so people will ask questions, but they they kind of view it as that is your choice, this is my choice. They're very separate of each other and they don't relate. In episode 96, James joined me and he talked about how do we witness as we travel. And there are good and bad ways that it has been done over history and he kind of points out that if king if Christ is our king there's a certain way that we are called to live and witness every day and of course we already know uh we've already seen some really bad things i mean even in in history uh i mean you had evangelism by the sword you had some of the areas of um we can type in some areas of the crusades in this um we can go into even the Reformation uh, and how there is a lot of uh, bloodshed over disagreement of what we should believe and what we shouldn't believe. So these are some of the areas of I look into ethic evangelism. You just listed some really interesting examples of some missionaries who didn't evangelize in ways um, 
that showed Christ's compassion or his love. I think that tends to be a stereotype of really just Christianity in general, that we kind of tend to be pushy and in your face. What do you think? Uh, well, I think that it just, it comes from bad teaching and, and not saying that we need, we need to teach people how to evangelize. We need to teach people how to, to properly engage in conversation for Christ. Um, but like you said, being pushy, I have a, one of the old evangelism book here by Dr. D Kennedy, who are called evangelism explosion. If you remember this, the, 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 how he started it is uh, they would go out in teams during the, the 1960s, 1970s, uh, and they would go out in teams and they would, you know, uh, talk to people and they would go in their homes and it would be like a home meeting that they would do. And in that, they would start a conversation and through the training, they would go through an outline in how to be able to present the gospel. And of course, through that outline, it lays out pretty much the gospel. Well, we don't do that anymore that especially in today's climate we're not allowed i mean going and knocking on doors um is is terrifying to people i mean we we don't do that anymore we're not we're not socially uh in that type of mode anymore and this is before even the pandemic happened uh, you talk to pastors like well you know people just don't want to you know people don't want to be disturbed you know people are you know dinner time um and so we have to change our methods a little bit and so there's some people out there that are very passionate about, hey, I want to go knock on doors and and I've done it. Uh, I've, I've led revivals uh, in parts of parts of the United States. And when, when we're getting ready for the revival or during the day, we would go out and talk to people and invite them to come to the revival. Uh, I've led many people to Christ there at their, their doorstep. Um, but you, the idea of being pushy is I think that if we're – how do we overcome that? Or first of all, what is pushy looking like? Like that's probably going to be the, the, the main thing. Uh, but then again, where if you tell a whole bunch of young Christians, baby Christians, hey, let's go knock on doors. Uh, you're going to get the fears of evangelism. And of course, that's something I've already addressed, uh, I think a little bit on my podcast before, uh, where we get in the fears of evangelism, where we don't want to share the gospel at all. However, our lifestyle needs to line up with scripture as well, too. How are we living? How are you treating your wife and kids? How are you treating your spouse? How are you, how, what is people seeing when they're looking at you? While there are certainly different methods for evangelizing, one of the ways that we can all grow in our faith is by visiting sacred sites, places in scripture, and helping uh, with the intent of understanding how they apply to our lives today. And in episode 101, Susan and Rick McCarthy joined us to talk about sacred sites and how they've played a role in their lives. Yes. What we're talking about is those religious sites, those holy sites and sacred sites. Um, But um, for someone who doesn't really know even what that is, how do you guys define what a holy site or city really is well there are clearly what they call a b and c sites an a site would be the sea of galilee we we know that's where jesus was he was on a boat on that sea and walked all around that sea 
but then there's other sites that we're not sure if that's exactly where it happened. It's where tradition says that it happened. The Garden Tomb is an example. There are a couple of places outside of the city, and there's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, people have different faiths, have different beliefs at what happened there. And so really the key is looking at that city or that site through the lens of what happened in that area and how is that relevant to my life today. And we even cover, like in the Reformation section of the book, sites that God showed up and did something important, especially when, you know, Martin Luther had a big uh, revelation or he had a big debate in a certain city. What was God doing there? And so we take people back to that time and space also. Pondering those things are very important, even though they aren't the only way for us to engage with God, they certainly hold a special place. And in episode 22, Kate Michelle talked about her experience being in a monastery and experiencing some of those sort of sites. Lots of denominations have missionaries or educational centers in various places around the world, and they're you know, happy to host you if you're able to um, get there. And so I contacted the Mennonite Center. So I first went to Paris for a week by myself. Um, and I just focused on like not having a schedule and just enjoying. Um, and then I went to this monastery and it really changed my life. I mean, I would never think of myself as a monastic person. Um, my background, you know, is very action oriented where, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Mennonites are just very action-oriented. And so the idea of going to a place to pray contemplatively for four times a day was like, where? what am I doing here? <laughs> and at the same time, it was, it was challenging in all the right ways. Yeah. And um, I've gone back many times now. Um, the monastery is called Grand Shaw. You may be familiar with Tizé, um, the monastery of Tizé in Europe. Um, this was actually the precursor to Tizé. Um, Brother Roger of Tizé wanted actually to join the sisters mm-hmm. and to make Grandchamp a um, co-ed, so men and women monastery, and they actually told him no. <laughs> and that's when he went to found Tizé. Um, but they've been in close relationship, and Grandchamp is actually the retreat house for the Tizé brothers. Um, but it's much, much, much smaller, and there's maybe five or six young people that come a summer Um, because that's not their main ministry. But it really changed my life just having these relationships. You know, I was all the way in Switzerland at this point. So this is French speaking Switzerland. And there were people that knew my friends um, back in Elkhart, Indiana. So it was just amazing to be there. Um, You know, gave me a lot of space, you know, the silence at a silent monastery. And clearly, I can talk a lot. So not maybe like, the first thing I would think of was so good for me. Um, And that really sparked this idea that like travel can be about relationships. Travel can be about understanding traditions that are different than your own, um, but that can deeply enrich your own prayer life and your own spirituality. Um, While visiting sacred sites is definitely one way you can engage with God, In all of your travels, you are able to have a deep and meaningful spiritual experience with the Lord. 
and in episode 42, Della Brown joins us to talk about some of her experience staying with host families. To be sensitive to your host's needs. Ask, ask the Lord about what, I often say, what is it, Lord, that these people you know, need? What can I bring them? They're giving me a, um, a dinner and a bed and breakfast and some really great fellowship. What is it that I can bring to them? Um, I don't have much as a missionary. I never have much, so I can't, I can't offer much. And I travel with a, a suitcase and backpack. So I don't have much to give, but I can give my you know, stories and uh, advice perhaps. Now I'm getting a bit older. I'm 50 now, so I'm, I'm older than half the world's population now. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, maybe I've got some wisdom there that I can you know, impart to these people. So I think... Um, Ask the Holy Spirit about what, ask God, what is it that I can give to these people that will uplift them, that will connect me to them, perhaps forever, you know, for, for the rest of our life here on earth. While I just hit on two different forms of travel, sacred sites and host families, because those were some of your guys' interests, I want to point out that any time that we travel, whether it's to work, vacation, um, around the globe, uh, just to the grocery store even, these are all times that we are technically being travelers for Christ, um, even just going out and getting your mail. And from that perspective, um, I just want to encourage you to have those lenses on looking for opportunities to serve the Lord. But when we talk about travel, we can't just look at this amazing end product. We have to think about the aspects that go into the process of getting there. So um, I'm going to take us back to episode 11 when we're going to talk about some of the things that go into budgeting that we might not even typically consider. So before we budget, I think it's very important that we take the time to pray and just ask God that he reveals to us what is wise to do with our money um, and how he would like us to use it. And sometimes that's going to force us to redirect money um, to things that we didn't want to originally allocate it for. Um, maybe it's going to force us to slow down on planning a trip, and maybe sometimes it means, okay, you have the good to go. But taking that time to pray and reflect and just really be open to what God has to say, and if he tells you to wait on a trip, that doesn't mean you'll never get to go. Um, the Apostle Paul waited a long time to get to go to Rome. Um, that was kind of his d dream destination. And um, yet when he got there, like all these amazing things uh, fell into place. Um, yes, he ended up a prisoner. And yes, we probably wouldn't rejoice over that per se, but he did. And um, he got to share the gospel. Um, and he was just excited to finally be there crazy things, but God was using and timing it accordingly. So trusting his timing, hopefully that doesn't mean you're going to end up in prison, but um, trusting his timing and that he will use you because who knows who you'll get to meet um, if you go at a certain time versus other times um, and how you can get to witness to them. Prayer is so important for our pre-travels and our ongoing travels, 
And Susan Whitehead in episode 16 talks about how the Lord moved their family in a financial crisis to move internationally with five children and live abroad for an extended period of time. And the story of how they got there and figured out their finances and all of the miracles that happened is truly incredible. So did those sales like fund this trip in a way? No, selling all of our stuff did. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how much money you can you have under your roof when I mean we had we had 15 years worth of stuff. We had been married uh, well we had our 15th anniversary just um 8 days before mm-hmm. uh wait, no. Yeah, 8 days before we landed in Costa Rica. And we, I mean, we just sold everything. We had Turkish rugs from my husband's time in the military. We had bins and bins and bins of little girl clothes from our four daughters. We sold our van. I mean, we sold, we sold everything. And that really gave us a little bit of a cushion Mm -hmm. to launch and go to Costa Rica. But we also had a little business that we were running. And I had a few other streams of income online that were, totally digital. So we had some things in place, but definitely did not have this huge drawn out plan with budgets. And it it was just, we had no money. We knew we could live overseas for cheaper. And so we left. Now, moving your family across the globe sounds intimidating, I understand, and Peter Greer came back onto our podcast to talk about how all of us can be doing micro-adventures in our own backyard. Micro-adventures are are something that I picked up. Um, It's a stolen uh, concept uh, or a phrase, all borrowing different things from different people, um, from uh, a British travel adventurer and explorer called uh, Alistair Humphreys. Uh, He says, uh, Al Humphreys says, Adventure is a state of mind, a spirit of trying something new and leaving your comfort zone. It's about enthusiasm, ambition, open-mindedness and curiosity. And I thought when I read that, well, there's nothing to stop us, uh, even during this lockdown, even for my friends in the South, uh, limited to two kilometres around their own house. There's nothing why they couldn't enjoy this spirit of adventure in all that uh, Al says uh, it is. And uh, to to really not go home, I guess, as many of my friends have done, uh, moaning that it's so boring being in the house every day, not having anything else to do, having watched all the Netflix uh, episodes that we could have wanted, um, but instead uh, to see the possibilities um, and even to start on small micro-adventures ourselves. In episode five, Josie shared about finding purpose in travel. It could be anything from hiking to what it looks like to have meaning when you have a life on the road. Her husband is a full-time travel nurse, and that has presented some uh, different joys and challenges for Josie. Like you said earlier, we really like to get out and hike and um Pretty much when my husband's off work, we're going and finding a new trail to do, often taking our dog with us. She likes to go hiking and climbing too. 
So I'm Catholic and I carry a little rosary in, in my pocket when I hike. And it really helps me, you know, especially when it's difficult hikes, like if it's a steep incline or something, just to pray. And I really like the idea of, you know, carrying your faith with you while you're traveling, while you're either outdoors or going somewhere new on an adventure. So I started getting into the vinyl stickers thing. I know that's been kind of a, a trend lately. And so I started turning some of my designs into vinyl stickers that can go on water bottles and and whatnot. And, um, and that's been a, a fun thing to get into and also a way to an easy way to bring your faith with you that's that's helped me personally bringing our faith with us is such an important part of being a christian traveler and that also applies to take caring and that also applies to taking care of ourselves as we travel in episode 41 christy bowden joins us to talk about health and wellness and how that plays a part in our travels. Uh, well, I believe that Jesus created us as a whole entire being, and I think we tend to separate our emotions from our mental health, um, all separate from our physical health, because I think it's just smaller bites for us to understand. Um, but really and truly, if you've ever experienced any kind of anxiety or depression, it's like you end up feeling just overall downcast. Like your emotions are sad and your body feels achy. It feels tired. You feel fatigued. You know, you feel miserable. And I don't feel like we are called to live like that on a permanent basis. Um, there's just so much life to be had out there. But it gets very difficult to see that when our emotions and our, our mental state are very clouded because we're just limited human beings and we need Jesus to kind of pull us up out of ourselves and into him so that we can see that higher perspective that um, we're capable of. And that takes time. I mean, it, it sounds like, oh, just think better. <laughs> and it's it's more than that. It's definitely more than that. Um it's a process and it's a, it's a walk, it's a journey. But what I love is that the more intentional we become and the more uh, we press in and the more we just seek after him with all of our physical strength, all of our mental strength and all of our emotional, everything that we've got, he will respond to that. He will hear us and he will meet us where we're at. And I think that's one of my favorite things about him. God certainly does meet us where we're at. And in episode 90, Mary Snyder joined us to talk about event planning and what that can look like. If you want to plan a retreat or some other kind of getaway uh, to help people recoup and spend some time with the Lord, she has all kinds of tips and tricks. But the very first thing I do is I have to identify what I want to do. What mm -hmm. is the, what am I doing? Is, am I doing a retreat? And if so, who's my target audience? Because I say this consistently. 
if you don't know what you're aiming at, you're going to hit it every time. So you have to know who you want to come to your retreat. Is it for your local women? Are you reaching out? So those are the first two things I, I identify is, you know, what is my, who is my audience and what do I want to do? Absolutely. And once you have identified those individuals, um, kind of where do you go from there? Well, then I typically go to my venue because I'm working with somebody right now because I do, on the side, I do produce events. I still produce Mm -hmm. them in my job. I still work in the, in the producing world, but I also do them on the side for smaller venues. And I'm helping somebody put together about a 20 person retreat. So what we're, what we're doing right now is we're identifying her venue. She has identified her target audience. She knows who she wants. She wants about 20 to 25 people. She wants it in a home. So we've narrowed that down to the types of homes we could use. So we're going to be doing a large Airbnb and she knows exactly what that looks like. So first you identify your audience, your theme, and then your venue. Do you want the coziness of an Airbnb? Would you rather have a hotel? Um, Are you going to be paying for everything? Is it all going to be in the ticket price or are they going to pay for their lodging? And then the retreat is going to happen within the confines of a hotel or a camp or uh, an event center, depending on where you are. Those every region has a variety of options. So those are the first things and then I go to how you're going to feed them because people really like to be fed. Well, Christian travelers, I hope that you have enjoyed this collage of your favorites of episodes that you have gone back to time and time again. And hopefully it has refreshed your memory. Some important things that we should keep close to our heart as Christian travelers. And if you want to hear the rest of these episodes, They are all listed for you below in the show notes. Additionally, if you want to get our email list or learn more about travel bookings and planning your own retreat, please reach out to us. We'd love to be of assistance to you. And if there's any other topics that you would find beneficial, please let us know. Until next time, safe travels and God bless.